Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm podcaster Pete Wright. <laughs> That's right. We're in the credits today. We're talking about Minute 115, oh, which right. begins with three hands and ends with a sailor holding a sack on his shoulder. The Bagman. <laughs> the Bagman. <laughs> That's right. Uh, JJ this is This is back. why JJ is here, because he looks like the Bagman. Is that what he's doing? Is because he can do that impression like a boss. <laughs> kind of a half smile, half snarl thing. <laughs> Big strong what? sailor. It is a funky look that he's given us. Yeah. Love it. Um, well, okay. So we've got uh, a few things to talk about. First, my first question is, what do you think of the score? This is, we get the the rousing Captain America theme playing over this set of credits. Uh, JJ, do you like Alan Silvestri and this particular score? Does it work for you? It's such a good question. And, you know, watching it back it had me thinking a lot about it. And I think that you guys in general do a much better job of, of picking out and remembering scores, uh, remembering themes as they show up. And I, and I love how what they've done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is to bring these themes back when we're introduced to the characters. You've seen it in the DC Universe, too, uh, in interesting ways. I don't find this to be one that it really sticks with me. Um, uh, it really makes sense for this movie, right? It really makes sense for the period. It really makes sense for everything that's happening happening here but it doesn't particularly make sense for cap for me so when when and if we've heard it when he's introduced in other parts of the mcu i don't really remember it definitely not like the main avengers theme which is something that i think is 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 really sort of ingrained in all of us especially when Sylvester comes back and is doing you know the infinity war and, and end game stuff um and that's so effective i don't find this to be particularly effective but i feel it particularly relevant for this film so I, I'm I'm kind of mixed on it. Um, uh, I want Cap's theme to be something, is something memorable, and it and it works with this. But I didn't remember it, unfortunately. Do you find that largely holds true for you with many of the Marvel films? I know that's a general complaint with Marvel and the the themes for the characters. Um, individual characters, maybe, but I think both. So I mentioned the Avengers, and I think the Guardians actually that their theme too. Those two seem to hit me. Like uh, for some reason they, they're they're, trig they're triggering in a very positive way for me um, in the way that I that I film, view the MCU. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is somewhat you know I guess under the radar. And and Silvestri, you know, I he's so prolific. There's so much there to look at in his, in his book of work that it, it it might be on purpose, right? To be able to take this huge mix, make stuff that works together and and do that. I think the reason why I brought up the DC universe in this is because in, in, in their group, right, in the Justice League, Wonder Woman is so prominent. Wonder Woman's theme is so distinct and 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 I and I love it. You know, I, I kind of get a cheer every time I hear Wonder Woman in the in the DC universe. I don't necessarily feel the same way in the Marvel universe, but that may be by design. And I think Sylvester is so again I said prolific so wide-ranging that, that that he might be the perfect pick for all of the different Marvel stuff that he's done here. There's so many Alice Vestry scores that just really stand out. He's done so much, so much great work with Robert Zemeckis, and uh, I, I just think that there's a lot of stuff that, that he's created that really stands out. I, I think the Captain America theme itself, like this particular part here, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, yeah, that works on the whole, like the score itself, to your point, it feels like it fits in kind of what Joe Johnston is doing here with kind of a 40s feel. 
as far as the film goes. Um, but um, I generally struggle with the themes. I mean, I, I liked Patrick Doyle and his work for Thor uh, last season, but at the same time, like you asked me to th- hum the Thor theme, and I'm like, mm, can't do it. I can't remember the Thor theme. Yeah, um, I know it's very big and bombastic, but that's all I've got. So yeah, it's a it's a struggle that I really uh, have with these films and the Avengers theme. To your point is probably the the one thing that is easily hummable. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know if I can think of any other music from the movie other than the Avengers theme itself. And uh, it's a weird thing with with Marvel where, I don't know, they struggle with, with their themes and their scores. Uh, Pete, do you have, where do you land with all this? Well, I think you guys are too hard on it. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like the I feel like the themes do what they need to do when it's most important when I'm watching the movie. And the fact that I can't hum back a theme from this movie with the exception of Cap's theme is I, I'm not I'm not discrediting Sylvester for that at all. And I, I really don't discredit Marvel because when I'm watching the movie, the themes are awesome. And I love the 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 way they handle music, you know, as a um, as a practice. I think they do it well. I can't think of. So here's the inverse of the question. Can you think of a score that you feel like is terrible for Marvel? No, absolutely not. Well, I mean, there he is. What kind of forever? No, I poked him. I poked his. I poked the dragon. (laughs) I know it's new. I know it's yeah. new, but <laughs> right. can we talk um, about that way? No, that's a different show. <laughs> no, we'll catch you in 23 years. Yeah, right. we got, we've got some time to get to that one. I, you know, I I don't remember the Iron Man 2 score that well. So that might be one that, um, like Ramin Jawadi, the, the Iron Man score wasn't overly great, but like the, the sound, kind of that grinding electric guitar worked for Tony, um, you know, but... Um, uh, so I don't know. Iron Man 2 is the one that stands out. I know Jawadi didn't come back to do that one. I think it was John Powell, if I remember correctly. But um, it, it that one just doesn't stand out as a score that like I would ever feel like putting on. Well, I, I go back to JJ's point that this theme works particularly well for this movie, even if it's not so memorable for the for the character for you guys. Like I, for me, now that we've watched it a minute at a time and heard it so many times come back in <laughs> for Cap, like it's it's hard not to hear it in my head while I'm brushing my teeth every day. Like it's <laughs> it is it, it's everywhere. And and so I, you know, I, I love it. I think it's I think it's fantastic. And uh, it and it actually I am excited having having spent so much time with it to listen to the way it's incorporated into the Avengers. I, my hunch is I'll be surprised at at the number of places that it shows up. Sing the Cap theme and then immediately follow it up with the Back to the Future theme, speaking as a Mecca. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me right now? I'm telling you, it, it, they're not the same. They're not the same, but they, you can... It sounds like they go together. I mean, they're not the same, but it sounds like they're part of the same. It's almost an inverse. That's that's interesting. Yes, I know. I love it. It's so funny. Composers stealing from themselves would not be a new thing. No, and that's the thing. I mean, that's certainly tell you. It's almost like they're they're selected for what they do well, and I think that's why I think that Sylvester is a good pick for this, even if it's not you know, what, 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 what we're, what we're thinking it should be. Cause it's, it is, 
it's memorable in the way that it's supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, it fits a 40s-ish feel, and that's the thing that I think works exceptionally for it. So, uh, All right, well, let's start talking credits. So we've got, let's go through some names. So, uh, and just see is if there's anyone in particular that you are interested in talking about. I mean, we didn't talk uh, last week, yeah, or not last week, in yesterday's minute, we had, of course, Joe Johnston as the uh, the great director of the film with the, uh, the classic, classic, I want you for the US Army uh, poster, which, uh, you know, uh, that the James Montgomery flag poster that is so iconic we've talked about that back in early in the season when we first saw that pop it up everywhere and then it immediately shifted and we didn't really talk about the the style um of the designs Uh, i don't know should we talk about names do you want to talk about art first where do you want to go well, quickly, I'll just say about Joe Johnson. I, you know, other than than, than this, I, I, I'm not super familiar with Joe Johnston and his work. So I went back and looked at the IMDb thing. I think it's interesting that he's also the director of The Rocketeer. Uh, just to think about, you know, people talk about, I can't remember who I was having the conversation with, but very recently talking about comic book movies before the MCU and how they struggled to really sort of capture the energy of what that was on the page, of that what was on the page. And one that stood out as different from that was The Rocketeer. A lot of people talk about The Rocketeer having its own feel its own special thing and that's really neat to think about where the rocketeer exists in sort of the history of comic book ideas and then to come in and do captain america the first avenger there is some synergy between that so i i appreciate his style uh on this film as it relates to other work that he's done in the past he's a yeah he's an interesting director i i certainly enjoy his work um i i don't i don't know if i ever really love his stuff um, and I'm probably the odd, the oddest of oddballs who probably would say Jurassic Park three may be my favorite Joe Johnston film. Nice. Yes, I'm that weirdo, but uh, <laughs> I do really love that movie. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, Pete. What's your favorite? Is it this, The Rocketeer, or I, I mean, The Wolf? Honey, Man. I shrunk the we kids. Had a, right? we had a great time talking about yeah, The Wolf. Right. Yeah, how do you shrunk no, the kids? No, I think it's this one. Now, I, I have a real soft spot in my heart for The Rocketeer. Uh, I love The Rocketeer just because of when I had it in my life. But uh, you know, having seen the, as much of this movie as I have now, I mean, I just, I, I really, I love Cap, and I, I, I love the way he was treated in this movie. And, and I think this movie says so much more for, uh, you know, about. Uh, the war machine and media and uh, media as influencing pop culture. And I, I just I like all the little nods to those sorts of cultural things that that I think play in it for me. So I, I'm 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 a fan of this one. I've told you guys my Rocketeer story, right? Oh, uh, like no. when I lived in L.A. Well, my first job ever was at a movie theater. I don't know if, if we've talked about this. All of us have kind of interesting movie backgrounds from our youths as well. And when I moved to L.A., everyone told me that I looked a lot like Billy Campbell. Like people would actually come up to me and say, you should go to his agent just he's, you know, say you be a young Billy Campbell. And I never realized that Billy Campbell was a rocketeer. But I remember that at my first job as a theater usher. You know, just wearing the garb and the new bow tie and whatever. I had a little kid run up to me at one time go, mommy, mommy, the rocketeer. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. So it has been something that's followed me my entire life. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Very funny. Who else? Uh, well, we move we move into the screenwriters. Uh, the script, of course, uh, was written by Marcus and McFeely, uh, the writing duo uh, that uh, it is um, Christopher Marcus, Stephen McFeely. They have been working together. They did the... Um, uh, the Narnia films. They did the three Narnia films that were made 
Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Neither of them are attached to the new one. So I'm curious with the new direction where they're going to go with that. But they both came into this franchise with this film. This is their first entry into uh, the Marvel uh, Universe. And now they are way up there. I think they're like the, the you know, on the actual the team, like, you know, they've been incorporated into the Marvel team, working close with Feige, helping develop the stories. They wrote this, Thor the Dark World, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. Um, and then they did The Gray Man, which is um, the Russo Brothers uh, film that, uh, the post-MCU Phase 3 film that they did. And so, um, I don't know, I mean, do you have, are you fans of kind of what they've done and, and kind of the work that they do? Well, I didn't love The Gray Man. That was hard. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and that list that you just gave us is not, you know, a, a universally loved list of even the MCU films. I, I don't dislike The Dark World. My kids actually make fun of it. They put a Thor The Dark World poster up in my, my cl- closet behind my clothes that said, nobody likes Thor The Dark World. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> but that being said, <laughs> but that being said, I know that it's not, you know, they're, they're not out there. What I think they probably do well, and you mentioned them joining the team, and they're, they're involved in a lot of the different things after this point in the MCU, is that they, they probably have a really great working relationship with Feige and with and with the Russos and, and all that sort of thing. And I think that um, you definitely see their skill in being able to pull um, wide-ranging things together, what, very complex stories, and, and to be able to tell a story here. And so um, so I appreciate that. But I don't know that I necessarily see their mark on these things so much as I see the or I appreciate their, their what they're doing as part of the team. I should add, in all fairness, I like more of the stuff that they've written than I don't like because I'm such a fan of Endgame and Infinity War and Civil War and, and Agent Carter and, um, you know, Winter Soldier. Obviously, like the, the list of the Marvel stuff, I'm a big fan of. I'm, uh, I, I think I'm, I, I worry a little bit about, you know, what's happened since, but I have no reason to fear that they're going to be able to not create great stuff in the future. It, it's just a it, Grayman was a bummer for me. It's nice to see when people land and are able to consistently create things that other people love. And uh, I think they're, this movie is a, a real, you know, pay into that. They started with The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, which is a, a TV movie that I quite enjoyed. I thought it was, a, you know, a pretty solid look at Peter Sellers' life with um, Jeffrey Rush playing Peter Sellers and Charlize uh, Theron uh, playing uh, Britt Eklund. And uh, definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen that. That they, They've only done a few things that aren't Marvel. That, then they did a film called You Kill Me, which I never saw. It was a John Dahl film with... Um, uh, ben Kingsley as a hitman and Tia Leone as the uh, somebody that he befriends. And then they did what something I really like, which is Pain and Gain. I know that's kind of a divisive Michael Bay film, but I kind of really liked it. I thought it had an interesting edge to it that uh, that definitely worked for me. So, um, And now they're working on The Electric State, which is the new Russo Brothers film. Again, non-Marvel. Hmm. So... I'm curious to see where they continue going and evolving with with the work they do. Um, it's interesting that at this point, from what I can tell, there is nothing Marvel that they have um, been tapped into. So I'm curious if they're just helping kind of develop the projects that are coming down the pike. Yeah, yeah, it would make sense. 
Um, all right. So uh, we're not going to go through every single one of these in all of this great detail, but that's that's we start with them. And then, of course, Kevin Feige as the producer. We have the executive producers um, and then we go into the uh, the DP, Shelly Johnson. Uh, what did you think of the cinematography in this one, JJ? You you are a person who's been involved in the camera department quite a bit in your past. Do you like the way that Shelly Johnson uh, kind of shot this? Johnson is a Johnston regular has worked on a number of Joe Johnston's films. Um, how does the, how does it work for you? Well, that's one of the things that I that I noticed more watching it back because I, I, I remember when I watched it earlier, I was, I was kind of so focused on the story that I didn't really pay attention to much of the, 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 the visual elements of, of what they were t- doing the storytelling. I actually liked it a lot more um, when I watched it back this, this, this sort of recent time preparing for, to talk about these minutes with you. So um, I, you know, and it, the specific thing that I've been involved with in camera work is motion control. And um, a lot of the moving shots in this movie are very thoughtful and, and very dramatically shown in a way that I really like in, in, in film. So I give it more credit now than I would have uh, when I first watched it for sure. So, um, so I'm liking it more. I need to go look, look more at the work and, and see what else is there to, to sort of compare it to other things. But, um, but it, again, I, I sort of dismissed it when I first watched it. Uh, because I thought I thought and I could say this about the story too I thought it was a simple story but there's much more here uh, on rewatch both uh, both in the story and the visual storytelling that you can that you can pick up you know what I think is interesting and, and maybe worth noting I, I don't know I, I weirdly I think I need to watch it again see but it strikes me now <laughs> that uh, that <laughs> the, you know speaking just oh. of the cinematography that the cinematography what felt like of a time too. Right. Like it Mm -hmm. felt like what we were watching was what would have been shot or could have been shot at the time. There was nothing that felt like it was so flamboyant that it couldn't have been shot in the 40s. That's fair. It looked better. Right. um, But but at least it didn't feel like they were flying drones around the battlefield. You know, that I think that would have been uh, distracting uh, until we get to. Yeah, until we get to like throwing those guys out of the building and then we get the wide shot and we're down uh, running down the the street and it feels a little bit more energetic. We do have some uh, lots of rolling shots, lots of driving shots, uh, you know, chasing Cap when he's running. But I my feeling is even in the in the big minutes where, you know, blowing up Hydra stuff in the great big warehouse that we love so much, like even that felt like you could have put the camera in a facility like that in 1940 and captured that shot. I don't know. Am I making stuff up? Well, no, there was a guest who who had pointed out, um, blanking on who it was, but they talked about how Johnston very specifically wanted to use uh, those certain lenses, like nothing, nothing too wide angle, uh, you know, trying to uh, or no telephoto, something to kind of keep it feeling very very much of the time using more of kind of just the the normal lenses. And uh, so, yeah, I think there's something to that. I say that do in contrast, though, because the other thing Shelley Johnson has done, which I've seen, you know, fairly recently, is Greyhound, the Apple TV plus uh, Tom, Hanks. Tom Hanks film. Yeah. And that was not shot this way. Like that, there is a lot of that. And I think when you're flying around a, a sea battle, you got to put the camera in places that might not uh, you might not otherwise be able to have have captured at the time. And it feels it, in some cases quite jarring. It feels a little bit Michael Bay in some places because of that. 
Well, the place where I would notice it the most in this is particularly, and it's going to sound weird because they show it in a couple different places, but when they're highlighting that Hydra car mm-hmm. and when they're circling the car and when, you know, and, and, and when they're driving in the car and all these things, these things feel very sort of old fashioned to me, but not in a negative way. They're showing it artfully. They're giving it the sort of largeness that you want to see in the way without using a wide angle and this kind of stuff. And they're, they're shooting down the side of the car. They're giving it all this kind of things. And I, I really like the way they highlighted things like that. It, it, it came off as something intense and old to me. It actually reminded me a little bit of, um, like the Baz Luhrmann great Gatsby a little bit in the way that they showed things of the time in, in, in that movie. Um, and I think, I, I think it was all very positive and, very, and, and looked very artful in the way that it was shot here. Do you think, uh, well, and Pete, just following up on your point, I don't know if there's a big difference, uh, but certainly there might be something that they're, I think that they were still using some film, maybe not all film for this, but some film for this, as opposed to Greyhound, mm-hmm. which I'm sure was completely yeah. digital. So, digital, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, JJ, do you feel that the speed ramping that's used off and on throughout the film um takes you out of the feel of the period or do you do you mind the fact that they were throwing that in so i don't mind it but that but i'm a massive fan of uh, i've used this word with you guys before of novelty right so even in the period when they're using novelty i'm comfortable with it so when you talk about speed ramping what it makes me think of a film where it maybe goes too far is like the sherlock holmes movies with robert downey jr right where it's of a period too but they're completely shooting in a sort of anachronistic style that doesn't make sense for the time period whereas here it didn't feel exaggerated in a way that was like a caricature. It felt like something that went, that could be possible or was purposeful in the way that they were doing it. So it never really bothered me the way that they were using it in this film. Um, but I can understand why that might be the case for some people as they watch it. Sure, sure, sure. All right. Well, we move on from the uh, from the director of photography to production designer Rick Heinrichs, who hasn't done a lot in the Marvel uh, universe. Although he did, uh, he did work on the production design for Ang Lee's Hulk. Uh, that was where uh, that was his first Marvel uh, dip into Marvel, and then he does the Wolfman and this with Joe Johnston. So he's, he's, you know, he hasn't done a lot with Joe Johnston, but it seems like he came on to this from the Wolfman. And then went on to do a bunch of other stuff. Most recently, just did Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, which is uh, by the time this is out, it is out on Netflix for people to watch. But um, I, I mean, the production design also is another element that, like the camera work, I think it it works really well, giving us that sense of the time. I really enjoy the production design uh, throughout the film. Yeah, very consistent and really exciting to see. Yeah. Paired with the costume design, I, I'm skipping a little bit, but uh, Anna B. Shepard did the costume design for this film. And again, I just I, it, it looks really great for what they're doing in the. Yeah, I mean, other film. than the bra and the cutscene, I think we're, we're doing really well. There. <laughs> let me let me take you back. Uh, the bra <laughs> was calling from inside the blouse. That was the joke. And it's still funny. <laughs> it's still funny. Well, and also Anna B. Shepard is the one to thank for the red dress, because as we pointed out, that was actually designed for Melanie Laurent in Inglorious Bastards, nice. but uh, didn't end up working in that film or didn't end up playing, I should say, in that film. So uh, she saved it and uh, Haley Atwell got to wear it here. So good timing. Yeah. Uh, um, another person who hasn't done a lot of stuff with Marvel, although she did most recently did Spider-Man Far From Home. And uh, a much more fun project for her to have done is Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. (laughs) 
Nice. <laughs> oh, the costumes in that one. So much fun. Um, I skipped over the editors. Uh, any thoughts on the editing as far as Jeffrey Ford and Robert Dalva and the editing, what they're bringing to the table? Uh, no. It was, <laughs> uh, other than it was great. <laughs> like, there's, yeah. nothing, there's nothing in here that got me out. I think we talked about the, the way they ended up, you know, sort of utilizing speed ramping and as a way to keep it novel um, and not take us out of the film with, with editing that felt, um, you know, period adjacent. I agree. I, I think the fact, you know, that one of the greatest things you can say about editors is when you don't notice them. Right. And and I think um, I was really happy with with everything we saw in, in terms of editing in this film. Yeah. Uh, visual effects supervisor Christopher Townsend. Do you like the way that the visuals play throughout the film? I, I know there are some questionable uh, effects in, in uh, parts of the film, and it was largely also designed to be 3D. But I mean, does it otherwise play pretty well for you? Well, I, the, the, the effect that I always think about when I think about this movie is is scrawny Steve. And um, and I I mean, I generally believe it. I don't want to say I mean, it's it's it is as it's intended, but it I just it's not perfect. There's lots of scenes in the film where I could be like, oh, come on, we don't they, they could have cut it differently. They could have shown it differently. You know, it's so clearly just out of like, I think there's a scene in the cab. I, it, That's, <laughs> that was the one you were talking about, about with right? yeah. Yeah. You know, like, Gandalf and uh, yeah, that <laughs> didn't, didn't, the force yeah, perspective so, didn't play. So I mean, but I and I also know it's a challenge. So I I don't want to take anything away from it, but um, but it's just I think they could have done things differently with um with Scrawny Steve in particular to make it uh make it look a little different. I uh, though I you know I I guess for for my money that uh, it just worked exceptionally well for me that just the Scrawny Steve because it's like magic. Like it I is. am able to let go of the fact that I don't that the that that particular human doesn't exist. It is a concatenation of two humans and different things and the fact that they pull it off as well as they do is extraordinary to me. So I feel like there's there's just nothing I can say to it possibly diminish that work because it is it's mind blowing it's mind blowing in hindsight after looking at it minute by minute it makes sense every time every time they show up it is it's just a feat of science and technology that they're able to do that stuff and so i i give it you know i give it a, a the stuff that i notice that takes me out of it a little bit i give it a pass because it's extraordinary i think that's that's a good way of looking at it for sure I also want to just give a, a shout out, since we're talking visual effects supervisor Christopher Townsend, the fact that they did opt to use a lot of of, of, of miniatures and uh, some actual uh, practical effects, which is nice to see because sometimes it feels like, especially as we get later in the MCU, where it's just like everything is CG. Like, you know, why why do anything practically when we can make the whole thing ourselves? And I like that at this point, uh, I think with Joe Johnston's background, he was looking to do some of that. And so I liked that they did find ways to blend that uh, in ways that worked really well for me. There's only a few times where I really am taken out because um, some effect um, didn't quite work right. So I'm glad that they had those practicals in there. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. Uh, then we go to the, some of our co-producers and then, of course, Alan Silvestri, who we already chatted about. 
he gets the best poster. I think his poster is the coolest with the plane coming around and shooting at you like this. Like, I don't know why, but that's my favorite of all the visuals in the credits. It is a very cool plane. I like that one. Um, I want to come back to the art, though, because yeah, uh, there's sure. some fantastic stuff that we're seeing here. Uh, we have music supervisor Dave Jordan, who is very busy with the MCU. And we end with the casting, Sarah Haley Finn, Randy Hiller and Priscilla John, who, um, you know, they're uh, I I know some of them have done quite a bit with with the MCU. So, um, but now let's jump back to the beginning and start talking about some of this art because it's just fantastic. So much great art. This was um, the the company that did this was Rocket Studio. Rocket. Uh, they've they're now Method Design, but um, yeah, but they they were Rocket at the time they did this. And they came up with this concept because of Joe Johnson, uh, because they had, I guess they worked with him on the Wolfman and he had done the Rocketeer. And so that was kind of the, the thing that kind of gave them the launch pad to, um, to get into the design for what they were going to do here. And they came up with this whole idea from the Rocketeer because that film has some, uh, some black and white Nazi propaganda stuff in there. And so they said, Let, let's do the same thing, but let's come up with using something similar with um, American stuff. And they were playing with coming up with their own stuff. And then Joe was the one who said, let's use some real images from these fantastic World War II propaganda posters, because there are so many really interesting ones. And and so they did. They put this together. And then the other challenge was they wanted to do this three-dimensionally. One, this was the period everything was coming out in 3D, so they had to come up with ways to kind of make all of this look very 3D. And, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. There's a great art of the title um, interview about the, the, the whole thing, talking about the process of making it 3d and how they did it. And I mean, it's, it's really, really interesting. It's extraordinary. Uh, yeah. A lot of Especially work. because they show you all the mesh for the motion or the Maya projects that yeah, they set up right, in right. here. It's just extraordinary looking at like you, it is so effortless in the actual title sequence that when you see what they had to do to break apart the the we want you uh you know poster just as an example is it's extraordinary and such great patience i think it's just beautiful it's beautiful work cool and um you know pete you'll appreciate this their inspirations aside from the world war ii period stuff uh were the james bond films but also thank you for smoking yeah, I love that. Wow. That was a great note. I thought that was so fun. The the posters and that the the 2.5D animation style. I think yeah. that's really cool. fun. Yeah, very yeah. cool. The first one that we saw yesterday was James Montgomery Flagg's iconic I Want You poster. The next one that we see is Together We Win, Get Behind Your Labor Management Committee. Uh, this is the three arms that we see coming in to kind of uh, two of them are holding hands, like shaking hands, and then it looks like kind of Uncle Sam with a, a, a the star and striped sleeve is kind of putting his hand on top of theirs. Um, that's kind of the, the the labor management one, and I thought that was interesting. I don't have where all of these were created um, or who did them, unfortunately. I would love to have figured out who the artists were. All I have for this one is it was done by the Office for Emergency Management. Hmm. That sounds That sounds about right. I hear these and I go back to Brazil and, and like some, some of the some of the <laughs> exactly. incredibly bureaucratic names for these offices. Yeah. Crazy offices. Yeah, exactly. Um, that one dissolves or I shouldn't say dissolve. They've all very fantastically been designed to kind of morph into each other. So that one 
turns into, we see some yellow planes with kind of propellers on their wings. And then we see a face and it says Civil Air Patrol. Uh, this is the Civil Air Patrol poster that it says Eyes of the Home Skies, Civil Air Patrol of the U.S. Office of Civilian Defense. And so that is that fantastic poster. And it's interesting to see the elements that they pulled, like the face and the, the planes, and then how they kind of moved them around and everything. But uh, that's that one. I'll just kind of keep walking through these and we can then we can kind of talk about them. Yeah. Then we go into kind of the shapes of all the planes flying overhead. And then we have an interesting image of Uncle Sam holding a sack that's made of the flag. <laughs> which I'm sure would set Rob Cabosco off on his thing right. about the improper uses of the American flag. Thank goodness. <laughs> we need that voice in the world. I agree. Absolutely. I'm with Rob. That's right. This is just, this is a buy war bonds poster. And uh, yeah, the whole design of it is it's got Uncle Sam holding that bag of, um, uh, I'm not sure what he, what he's holding. <laughs> I guess it's just supposed to be an American flag that he's holding. It, but the way that it's made, it looks like it's got a sack. He looks like Santa or something. It's weird. <laughs> Where else are you going to put all your war bonds, Andy? <laughs> I guess right. so. Once you've sold them, you put the booty in the bag. That's right. That's right. Um, he's up in the clouds. You've got all the planes flying overhead. And then you have a bunch of troops below. And it says by war bonds below him. Um, so that's that fantastic one. And Shelly Johnson, that's the that's the bottom part of it with the troops. Then we move into the parachutes and the paratroopers, and we see a soldier holding a gun. This poster is Back the Attack by War Bonds, third war loan. I don't know what that means, but that's hmm. uh, what that poster is. Yeah, it's I'm not sure what the third war loan is. Yeah. And then from there, we move into uh, some uh, some stripes, and we end up seeing a woman behind a typewriter. See, and this, this makes is... me think of Natalie Dormer. Ugh. How do you burn Natalie Dormer? How do you burn <laughs> Natalie Dormer in this role? <laughs> She's so much greater than what they've given her in the MCU. I'm a big fan. <laughs> there we go. See, I'm not alone, Andy. That's right. That's right. This one is from Victory Waits on Your Fingers. Keep them flying, Miss USA. Uncle Sam needs stenographers. Get civil service information at your local post office from the U.S. Civil Service Commission in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. That is perfect. Oh, it's so great. Uh, from there, we go over to the planes that you love so much, JJ. We get to see these the fantastic planes. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it turns right toward you. The poster is actually the image right before it turns to shoot at you. It's the, it's the planes flying at a diagonal across the screen. This is a poster that says, we're putting the stings in America's wings. So much depends on us. Let's go, everybody. Keep them firing. That was a motivational poster from uh, from General Motors. They actually, uh, it was from their Oldsmobile division, interestingly, because I guess they were working on some of the planes. I, I, I love the addition of making the prop on the principal plane actually rotate. I think that's yes. such a nice touch in this one. Like it. They're all actually rotating if you, if you look. Oh. Yeah, it's a nice little, it's a nice little thing. So they that's are. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. And then we move to a wrench turning the O in the word production. This poster is uh, America's Answer Production. It is a, uh, you know, let's make sure we're producing America. And this one actually does have the artist Gene Carl or Carly. 
something like that. I can't quite, the, the writing is a little funny. But uh, the, from the Division of Information Office for Emergency Management. Again, inspiring people to get back to work. Then we have the last one in this particular minute. It is the Navy officer holding the bag that we talked about earlier because he looks, he's looking at us a little funny. But it's interesting. You know what he's saying? I just stole all your war bonds, old man. <laughs> That's right. Well, what's interesting about this one is this is a, a, a propaganda poster that says, if you tell where he's going, he may never get there. What? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a loose, being... li- loose lips, sink ships kind of poster. Yeah. But right. Who would be telling what uh, and how? Uh, yeah. Americans who? telling their, their relatives overseas, I guess. Put up. Yeah. That's a good question. What? I don't it's know. The county seat, I guess. I don't know. Uh, it, that seems a little strange. And to think about the technology at the time, it seems really odd. But I guess maybe they thought that everybody could be a spy. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you have family over in Europe and you're talking to them about, you know, oh, the this I just saw in the paper today, this Navy fleet was going over here and they tell somebody, I mean, I guess that's kind of what their idea yeah. is, you know, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. It all speaks to propaganda. And like, this is the message that they're trying to get to the American public. Yeah. And I guess privacy existed then, so that makes sense. It doesn't anymore, so, you know. <laughs> now it just seems like, oh, not say something? Well, how do we do that? The really interesting thing about where they landed on this particular design element, it's, it's really actually very simple. I mean, as complex it is, as it is to create these stereoscopic kind of 3D versions of these posters. But it, it's really pretty straightforward, simple graphics. The original, like, when we go back to the art of the title, you can see the original concept of the Captain America uh, credits that they had done. And the the pitch plate shows Captain America in a lot of these heroic situations, like an, an animated kind of stereoscopic 3D Captain America. And it reminds me of one of my very favorite closing credit sequences of the era in which we live of superhero movies, which is the closing credits of Wonder Woman. And I think it's extraordinarily beautiful, the closing credits of Wonder Woman, but it's Wonder Woman in kind of these silhouettes with painting smoke kind of all around, running through the events of the movie, diving off the cliff and and finding the watch and planes firing at her and running across the battlefield. No Man's Land, exactly. But it's all in this incredibly colorful kind of thing. That's what this looks like. They were it it felt like they were going in a direction of doing that with cap. And I just think that landing on these posters was the perfect, perfect icing on the cake that is this movie and not going with something melodramatic that fit for Wonder Woman. And this would have I I just don't think it it would have landed quite as hard. I think it's a good I think it's a good choice, too. I think they did a really good job with the selections. There's something also about I mean, this is. You know, Captain America, it's a it's a superhero movie that happens to take place during World War Two. It kind of also diminishes what the American soldiers did during World War Two if they end up putting Captain America in everything. Yeah. Right. And I and I think by leaving it with the iconic World War Two imagery, it reminds people that, oh, yeah, there was also this horrific war that happened. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who ended up being the heroes. In it. And I think that's really Steve's message is that, you know, you know, everybody is kind of their own little hero. Yeah, for sure. Love it. Good minute. Lots of great stuff to look at. So uh, very, very fun talking with you about it, JJ. Thanks for joining us. 
Thank you. Um, something we like to throw out at our guests is, uh, do you have a favorite Captain America moment from any of the films or the comics or anywhere? Goodness. So it sounds weird because it's not even really a Captain America moment, but it is in Infinity War when Chadwick Boseman says, get this man a shield. That mm. is ah. my favorite of all of them. And I mean, because it isn't Cap, but it is because you think about everything they've gone through with Civil War and the and the and and being outcasts and and even them coming to save. Uh, who is it? They come to save uh, Scarlet Witch. You know, that, that's when they show up there. That's all great. But they're still on the outside. Then, you know, they're still not with the folks who stayed with the government. And then that final moment of bringing everyone together when Chadwick Boseman says that that's like the big triumphant thing of course other than you know chris evans beautiful uh you know avengers assemble in endgame which is just forever legend but yeah get this man a shield is 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 probably my favorite cat moment that's an awesome that get you awesome put moment. another point on the board that's yeah. another first yep nice everybody's got their own everybody's awesome. got one that's I right that's right Awesome. Well, JJ, it's been a thrill chatting with you uh, today and uh, earlier in the week as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Can you remind everybody again where they can tune in and hear some of the stuff that you've done out there? Yeah, check out uh, truestory.fm. We've got a bunch of different archives of all the different shows that that, that I've been on and, and the entire catalog has been on. It, the ones that I'm most sort of uh, present with are on the film board and on Trailer Rewind and some of the others, too. Um, we have new fun stuff coming up all the time and some interesting stuff coming up on the horizon. But always check in with all of our archives at truestory.fm. Fantastic. Um, well, we will be back next time to finish out this set of credits and jump into the real credits. Uh, and so... Yeah, the real credits. The real credits. <laughs> As if these aren't actual. <laughs> the scroll. The scroll. Oh, everybody loves listening to the scroll episodes. So much fun. <laughs> We're going to try making fun for everybody. We're going to try doing some fun stuff. So Awesome. All right. Uh, well, that's it. So, Pete, thanks as always. My poster says, got milk? (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.